I think that we have a love-hate relationship with change. Because if you think about it, we all have lots of things in our lives that we probably want changed or improved or to grow or to be transformed. Uh, we usually want things to change. We want to feel better. We want to look better. We want to do things better. We want to be more fulfilled in life. We want to be less stressed. We want better relationships. We want all of these changes. But we also don't want things to change. We also want things to stay how they are. We don't want to change how we eat or how late we stay up or how much we exercise so that we can feel better. We just want the change of feeling better to happen without making those other changes. We don't want to change jobs or bad habits so that we feel more fulfilled in life or less stressed. We just want to be more fulfilled and less stressed. We don't want to change how we're communicating or spending our time so that we have better relationships. We just want the relationships to change for the better, but we don't want to change those things we're doing. We often want some things to change about our lives and about ourselves, but we don't. We ourselves don't want to change. So we have this love-hate relationship. We want things to change, but we also don't want to change. And let me share just one example from my life, and maybe you can relate to it. I want to have more quality time with God before I start my day. And in order to do that, Hudson wakes up, you know, between six and six thirty a.m. Um, and we get him out of his crib at 6.30, trying to hope you know, that he'll eventually learn, like, 6.30 is the wake-up time. You know, that's the earliest, but it doesn't always work that way. So he wakes up between 6 and 6.30 usually, and what I want is unhurried, quiet time with my Bible open, reading, reflecting, responding to God's Word and prayer, and you know, being filled up like that. Um, for that to happen, I need to get up earlier than Hudson, um, which means I probably need to get up at about 5.30 a.m. if I want to have this unhurried, quality time where I get to read and pray and reflect and respond in those ways. Um, the problem is that when I, my alarm goes off at 5.30, I still often feel tired and really don't really want to get up at that time. It's like, well, okay, this is the thing I want. If I want to get up, have unhurried quality time with God, I have to get up at 5.30. When 5.30 comes, I don't want to make the change of when I'm waking up. At that moment, sleep feels better and is easier than getting up and going downstairs. And that battle to get up at 5.30 a.m., actually starts the previous night because Katie and I were like, okay, if we want to get up early so Katie can get to school on time so uh, she can get showered so I can read my Bible and pray, um, we need to start getting ready for bed at 9. So then hopefully we're laying down about 9.30 and then we get a little time to talk and to pray and we're falling asleep and then we get you know a good night's sleep where we don't feel like we want to hit snooze at 5.30 a.m. Um, but Hudson, he usually goes to bed at 7.00. And then, okay, now we've got to clean up after dinner. We've got to clean up the house, pick up his toys. And then now we're pushing 7.30, 7.45. And maybe there's another project. Oh, there's that, you know, weird leaky toilet. We've got to deal with that. So now it's 8.15, 8.30. And now it's like, oh, well, we have 30 minutes to relax before it's 9 p.m. And we have to start getting ready for bed. Well, well, maybe we'll watch an episode of this TV show we like. And maybe we'll watch two. And suddenly, you know, it's 9.45 or 10. We're getting to bed late. And thus, 5.30 rolls around. And I don't feel like wanting to get up, and it's this domino effect. And the point is, I'm saying with my words, I want this change in my life. I want more unhurried, quality, quiet time with God before I start my day. But I often don't want to make the necessary changes or the choices to make that happen. So it's like, I want this change. I want my life to change, but I'm not willing to change things in order to get that change as a result. And when we think about uh, our lives, we talked at the beginning of this series how we all want to be closer to God. We all want to experience more change in our our lives, more transformation. Uh, But we sometimes fail to make the changes necessary to have those things, to have closeness with God, 
to have more uh, transformation in our lives. We've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. This is our second to last one. Next week we'll wrap it up. Um, we've been covering who He is, what He wants to do in our lives, and how we can rely on Him once He's there. And the good news of the Christian faith is both that God is for us and that God is with us. And if we only stop it, God is for us, you've been forgiven. God's no longer against you. He's for you. If we stop there, it's like only getting half the news story. We have to go to the next part too. Now that God is for you, now He's with you. He sent His Holy Spirit to be with us, um, to guide us, to teach us, to shepherd us, to change us. Um, that's the We need God is with us and for us to get the whole of the good news. And the goal of this series has been for us to grow in our enjoyment of God's presence with us through the Holy Spirit. As I said in our first message, we talked about... Uh, Two things that all of us probably want more of in our relationship with God. More closeness. I want to feel close to you, that you're with me, that uh, we have this personal, intimate relationship, that you're not far off and distant. And I want to kick some of these old bad habits. Why do I keep sinning? Why do I keep getting in this rut? Why does this keep happening? God, I want to change. We want more closeness and more change. And we want this deep, vibrant relationship with Him. And we want to kick those things that keep hindering us and experience more life change. And the Spirit is the answer to both those desires, more closeness and more change. But even though we say, I want more closeness, I want more change in my life, often we don't make the necessary changes in order to experience that big overfall change in our lives. We like it if God would just give us what we want and that everything could stay the same. I just don't want to make any changes. God, just give this to me. Just make it happen. And today we're covering... Uh, I don't know, I was telling Bob, this is my attempt at a clever title, but we're covering what I'm calling three spiritual no-nos, because there's these commands in Scripture where they're related to the Spirit, and there's things that we're told not to do. Do not do this thing in relation to the Holy Spirit. And it's not, we're not covering this to like feel bad, like, oh, you know, like, we just hammer down on our, our lives and to feel bad about it. But these are barriers that we can put in our lives that keep the Spirit's influence and power um, from changing us and for us feeling, experiencing closeness and transformation we desire. Um, so these tell us what not to do, but then we're going to end with a command about what we should do. And you can think of these as like the four commandments about the Holy Spirit. Probably you could add in Galatians 5, walk by the Spirit, but we already covered that. So we're doing four commandments about the Spirit today, kind of like the Ten Commandments. But the purpose of them is not to make us feel bad, but to remove barriers. So the first one, we're not going to have a big idea, but we're just going to cover these four, and that's going to be uh, our points that we cover. The first one is from Larry's reading, Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. It's on page 838 of the Bibles that we have here, if you like using those. So page 838, or Mark chapter 3, verses 22 to 30. And this is blasphemy against the Spirit. Or, if you've been around church or read this verse before, you know that Jesus calls it the unforgivable or unpardonable sin. But when Jesus went about his ministry on earth, proclaiming the kingdom of God, God himself testified to the authenticity of Jesus' message and his mission. At the start of his public ministry, when he is about to launch into telling people about the kingdom, the Spirit descended on him, um, looking kind of like a dove fluttering down, and people heard this voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so God himself, by the Spirit, was testifying, like, I'm present with him, this is my Son, um, this is someone to listen to, like, he's the real deal. And throughout Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom, God demonstrated that he was with Jesus, because through Jesus, um, the 
the Spirit's power in Jesus. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. He even raised some people from the dead. And the Spirit was proving that Jesus was the real deal. The Spirit was offering his testimony to the world that Jesus really is who he said he was. And he, the kingdom has really come. And so you should trust him and surrender your life to him. He's the Lord. He's the Savior we've been waiting for. But not everyone accepted the Spirit's testimony. There's this group called the Pharisees, who were religious leaders in Jesus' day. And they were interested in the kingdom too. I mean, most, I mean, every Jew, unless you were not a very good one, was interested in the kingdom of God. Like That's what we're waiting for, for God to come back, to be present with us, to change. And in a sense, essence, the kingdom of God was, God's going to be close with us again, and God's going to change us. He's going to forgive us for our sins. He's going to give us a new heart. We're not going to be oppressed by um, foreign powers anymore. He's going to liberate us. There's going to be freedom. So there'll be closeness and there'll be change. That's what the kingdom of God, um, you could say that's what it was about. The problem was, uh, Jesus is coming. He's proclaiming the kingdom. The Spirit's testifying to that he really is the king. Um, but the problem was, Jesus was not the king that they expected. They expected the Messiah, the Christ, to come with glory, um, to come in power, to liberate them from the Roman Empire, the, the uh, people that were... Um, which, not subjugated them to slavery, but who were in dominion over them. They were in this other kingdom. They weren't free. And Jesus instead came as a humble carpenter with no armies of heaven, just this guy from some backwater town um, that nobody had really heard of. Like, what? You're the Messiah? Really? And so they're skeptical. But even more than skeptical, they were resistant. Jesus described them uh, as hard-hearted and blind and deaf, which is... You don't want to be called that by Jesus. Uh, they thought they knew how God would show up, and they weren't willing to accept that they could be wrong. Jesus wasn't what they were expecting. And instead of adjusting their expectations, they were resistant to him, hard-hearted, blind, deaf. Everything they waited for, the answer to all their hopes, the answer to all their prayers, was standing right in front, of, in front of them, but it was different than what they expected. And so they resisted him and rejected them. And they'd set up this whole religious way of life around a different expectation of what would bring the kingdom, of what the kingdom would look like. And because Jesus came into it, came bringing it differently than what they expected, um, they weren't uh, having any of it. So even though the king and savior they longed for was right there telling them, the kingdom's here, the thing you've always wanted, they're blind to see it and deaf to hear it. And Jesus knows, I know that I'm not what many expected. And you heard in Larry's reading that blasphemies against Jesus, you know, slander against him, people rejecting him, that can be forgiven. He's like, I know I didn't come as people expect me. So he says, that can be forgiven when people reject me and they turn back at some point. Um, but anyone, he says, uh, Jesus knows anybody can claim to be a king, right? I mean, I could come in here and be like, hey, I'm of royal blood. I have a kingdom, you know. And so you guys like, okay, what would make you believe that? Like, what would I need to show in order to prove that? Um, and it could be a character witness could be called forth to say, like, yes, this guy really is who he said he was. You'd probably need a couple more than that for, to believe I'm a king. But, you know, if there's somebody who is like, hey, uh, I'm a character witness. I can testify that this guy really is a king. Um, I'm from his, his homeland. And, and then the Spirit is the one that's called forth as this character witness from heaven, the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus sent from heaven, the Holy Spirit from heaven in Jesus' life as this character witness, like, I'm doing these works, I'm doing these miracles, like, testifying Jesus is who he said he is. It's who he says he is. He's the real deal. But the Pharisees still don't buy it. Jesus says, someone can be forgiven for not believing in me right away, and then turning and, and repenting. But he says, there's a sin that's unforgivable. So look at Mark chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. 
Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And sometimes this warning gets people really nervous because we wonder, uh-oh, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit at some point in my life? Or could I do that at some point in my life? And blasphemy um, you know, is kind of a religious term. I mean, it's not just failing to honor God, but it's actually doing the opposite of honoring Him. It's slandering Him, reviling, and insulting God. It's about um, saying, this is what's true of God. And it's not just that you're like, okay, well... I don't believe it, or I'm not going to you know, follow him. I'm just going to go this other way and live my own life. It's living your own way of life and also saying bad things against God, like you know, slandering him um, and reviling his name. Rather than praising God, this goes all the way to the opposite end of speaking evil about God. It's not just disobeying or struggling with doubt, but willfully speaking evil about God as you reject him uh, as your Lord. And Jesus says, this is what some of these religious leaders have done. So go back up to verse 22, Mark chapter 3. He says this, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul, another name for Satan. And by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And so Jesus is doing this work by the Holy Spirit, God's very own presence and power with him. And they are saying, he's actually doing this by the devil. They're calling the works of the Spirit the works of the devil. It's, it's slandering God. It's saying evil things about God. Like God himself, the Spirit, is testifying, Jesus is the real deal. Look, I'm doing these things. And they are so hard and deaf and blind to wanting to see it that they're actually willing to say, like, no, it's the works of the devil. This is, this is not the Holy Spirit, even though this is what the kind of works they should have expected. And it's irrational. Jesus points out how irrational it is. He says, why would Satan do that? He's fighting against himself. And so they're so wanting things to stay as they are. They're so unwilling to change their expectations or to think like, okay, we've got this boxed in. Like, this is how it's going to work, God. This is how you're going to show up. This is what it's going to look like. And Jesus comes, and it's, that doesn't fit our categories. And instead of adjusting their categories, they're willing to call God's works the works of the devil. And why is this unforgivable, you wonder? Like, what? Doesn't, doesn't grace go cover everything? Like, every, we're always undeserving of forgiveness. And so why is this unforgivable? Well, it's because if you're so hardened that you slanderously attribute the work of God to Satan in order to avoid evidence that would lead you to repent and believe in Jesus, then you've cut yourself off from the only way to be forgiven. It's unforgivable because... It's someone who's just so stuck, even if God is just like pounding at their door. It's like, hey, it really is, Jesus really is the one. You know, God himself is yelling in the window and they're just like, I know that's the voice of the devil and so I'm not going to listen to you. That's like this person that's so stuck they can't get out of it. And so they aren't willing to even turn to the source of forgiveness. And blaspheming the Holy Spirit comes from a hardness of heart that no matter what God does, person will always reject them, even to the point of irrationally calling work that should make them believe it the work of the devil. And blasphemy against the Spirit is a specific, very severe action. And I'm certain, I'm decently certain, I can't, you know, I can't say for sure, I don't know all your lives, but I'm decently certain none of you have committed it, because if you had, you wouldn't be sitting here. Uh, if you're showing up to church services, you, know, you don't really need to be worried about, like, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Because you would want nothing to do with God. Uh, in fact, 
someone who's concerned about committing blasphemy against the Spirit uh, hasn't committed it because they have a soft, hard heart that wants forgiveness, wants to repent, wants to, to change. But we can still learn from this passage because even if we don't have the same level of spiritual hardness or blindness or deafness that the Pharisees had in this passage, um, there's still, uh, God calls us out of that. We all were that once and the Spirit we've learned is the one who takes us out of that deafness and that hardness and that blindness and takes us from death to life. He calls us out of it and that's still like, some of that's still being healed out of our lives. And so we can still have areas where it's like, I'm kind of hard and resistant to God here. I'm kind of like not seeing God fully here. I'm a little uh, out of tune or not listening quite to God here. I'm a little deaf. And we can say, like the Pharisees, we might say that we want to be close to God and that we want to bring change, but we're unwilling to let go of control and comfort to experience his kingdom. And I brought back our little bowling ball analogy. Although, or you can leave it up to your imagination what you think is in here, but it's a bowling ball. Um, but it's like the Pharisees are, you know, they're saying like, this, this is what I want. I want God to be close to me. I want to change. And Jesus is inviting them to this. And they're like, no, but wait, this is how we thought it would go. And they're not willing to let go of all these expectations, all these ways they were worshiping God and doing religion. They have all this stuff set up. And Jesus is saying, yeah, come be close to God. Come experience transformation and life change. And they're like, we can't let go of this. And so even if you're, because this is what matters most, and even if you're saying, proving that you're the real deal through the Spirit, like, no, it has to be the devil because we're not letting go of this thing. So our first command uh, for this evening is this. Um, don't be hard, blind, and deaf, but be surrendered. Don't be hard, blind, and deaf, but be surrendered. So this is our summary of what it means to commit blasphemy or for us to be, uh, as Jesus describes the Pharisees, hard, blind, and deaf. Don't be hard, blind, and deaf, but be surrendered. And the, in that, if we have this posture of, I'm God, I want to be open to whatever you're doing. I want to be surrendered to whatever you call me to. Um, even if that means I've been wrong my whole life or I've been doing this thing um, wrong or I'm in you know, this pattern of sin that you tell me I need to stop it, that we don't sit and hold on to it, that we have a surrender. We aren't saying like, this thing is so important that it needs to be this way and I need to keep this in my life that we're not willing to let go of it in order to follow Jesus and follow the Spirit's lead where he wants us to go. If we want to be close to God and to experience transformation in our lives, but are unwilling to do what the Spirit asks or go where the Spirit leaves, leads, well, then we don't really want that. We don't really want closeness. We don't really want change if we're not willing to let go of things. And so uh, this, this sets us up um, for the next two spiritual no-nos because it's like blasphemy against the Spirit, that's like the worst-case scenario. It's like and none of us are there. And we were, when we responded to Jesus, entered his kingdom, received the spirit, we are having uh, this hardness, this blindness, this deafness removed from us and healed so we see God for who he truly is and weeded out of our lives. But it can still remain in this, this process. And so these next two commands give us specifics of how can we experience closeness with God and change um, by the spirit's power in us. And so uh, the next one is on grieving the Holy Spirit. And if you want the passage for that, it's Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 30. It's on page 978. So if we aren't committing blasphemy against the, against the Spirit, how do we be um, open and soft? How do we live life surrendered um, to where the Spirit wants us to lead? And this 
is the first command that tells us how to do that. So it's grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It's on page 978. Before he died, we saw when we were covering the book of John that Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to walk with you. He's going to teach you how to walk as a disciple of mine. He's going to guide you, comfort you, help you, shepherd you. Um, And Jesus shepherds us and teaches us. He disciples us through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a primary discipler in our lives. And so I want to throw this question out for us to, to answer. If someone entered your life with the desire to guide you because they love you, what behaviors on your part would grieve them? What behaviors would make them sad? So if someone entered your life with the desire to guide you because they love you, what behaviors and actions on your part would grieve them and make them sad? Let's just brainstorm together. Tell them I didn't need their help. I don't need you. Yeah? Doing the opposite of what they tell me to do, even though it, like, hurts me. Doing the opposite of what they tell you to do, even though it hurts you. So you could even expand that and say, doing things that hurt you because they want, they love you, wants the best for you. It's doing the opposite of what they see. If I'm unconcerned and careless and don't really... Just don't care. Yeah, unconcerned. Teenagers would call it ghosting. You ghost them, so you yeah. just don't respond to them at all, and yeah, you just disappear. Ignore. ignore them? Okay, ignore them. Ghosting? Don't ghost the Holy Ghost? No. <laughs> no, we don't use that anymore. Holy Spirit is better. It's probably some cool bracelet. Don't ghost the Holy Ghost. Give it to your teenagers or something. Perfect. <laughs> Alright, so ignore them, tell them I don't need you, do the opposite of what they're saying to do, be unconcerned or careless. Any others that would grieve them? Insulting them. Insulting them. This word grieve speaks to our personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit isn't this force that's just kind of like hanging out. You know, it's like just, oh, it's just this power force living inside of us. But the Spirit's a person, the third person of the Trinity, and he can be grieved. He's a person like us. We can be grieved. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed, sealed for the day of redemption. The day of redemption... Talk, is saying the day that Jesus comes it completes the work he began in us and so it tells us that the spirit is interested in this redemptive restorative renewing work in us and he wants to take us somewhere um, and don't grieve him he gives this command Paul gives this command in the middle of instructions to this church to leave their former way of life they're put off their old self which is corrupt with deceitful desires and put on the new self which is being renewed in righteousness and holiness and then he gives this some suspicion specific ways. What would it look like to put off your old self and put on your new self? To leave your old former way of life and live a new life. So he starts addressing some specific concerns. He said, don't lie. Don't be angry and sin. Don't steal. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth. 
And it may seem like this, okay, he's just going through a list of all these good things and you know, we should do and bad things we should avoid. But if you think about it, they're all relational things um, that ways of hurting other people or ways of trying to get from people the things that we need instead of doing it in a healthy, God-honoring way. And we all come into our relationship with God, with the people of God, with this pre-programmed way of relating to other people. It's from your family growing up, um, for good or for bad, you were programmed um, with a way of seeing people, of having an attitude of pe- toward people, of how you deal with conflict with people, um, of how you get what you need and get care from people. And we all are programmed with this way uh, of how we do that. And whether we realize it or not, we relate to people out of this programming. And even if you said, man, I did not like how my family handled conflict, or I don't know like how my ha- family handled this, you still are acting out of that. That's the programming put into you. And this God is, and the Spirit is leading us out of that and healing us from those ways and teaching us a new way to do it. But if you were to just not listen to the Spirit, that's your default. You're going to go back to the way that you were programmed for most likely the 18 years that you're in this household of being taught of how do I deal with conflict? How do I see people? What's my attitude towards people when they hurt me? Or X, Y, and Z. Um, and it's deep in us. Those are patterns that we'll always go back to. And the Spirit wants to change. If you want to say what this, one of the Spirit's main desires, the Spirit wants to change our relationship with God, and He wants to change our relationship with others. He wants us to see God differently, to relate to God differently. When we relate to God differently, we start to relate to other people differently. He wants to change our relationship with God and relationship with others. The Spirit wants to deprogram and reprogram how we relate to people. He does this by showing us God's love and grace toward us so that we can show that to others as well. And what grieves the Spirit is when we ignore His guidance and His leading and relate to people in that old way of life. And so the command here is, to summarize, He says, do not grieve, um, but what would be the opposite? Do not grieve, but listen and obey. Do not grieve, but listen and obey. Not grieve, but listen and obey. We may say, well, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to experience more of you, and I want to live a transformed life. But we aren't willing to let go of old ways of relating to people. We think like, and there's ways that we hold on to things. If we don't, uh, we may make excuses of like, oh, maybe there's a relationship in your life where you're like, man, I know that relationship needs healing. It's broken. Um, There's hurt there, and I need to resolve some of that. We hold on to things. You know what? They sinned first. They hurt me first. Or if maybe we hurt them first, we'll say, well, they, they hurt me more. Like maybe I did it first, but they responded with something worse than what I did. And we say like, well, maybe we say like, well, okay, I sinned first. Um, and maybe I did the worst thing. Like I said, that really bad thing. But they've done way more things. So we just like, we'll make excuses of like, we'll hold on to them. Well, they need to come to me. And they need, you know, we hold on to those old ways of relating to people. And we say, well, they sinned first, or they sinned worst, or they sinned the most. And we don't, we're not willing to surrender our relationships to God. And we may think like, okay, I'm good with God. I come to worship services, I pray to Him, and I'm good with Him. But then we aren't good with other people. And we can use excuses to not love people as God has loved us. You know, imagine if God had done that, used those excuses. Well, you guys sinned first, and you sinned the worst, and you sinned the most. And But what does God do? He pursues us, and he gives us son, and he lays it all down so that we can be forgiven and so we can come to him. And every sin we commit is relational. 
Um, it always hurts God, it grieves the Holy Spirit, and it always hurts other people. It may be a delayed hurt, it may be kind of this invisible hurt, um, but it hurts people. So think about uh, people, relationships in your life could be in this church or in your family or friends or neighbors or relationships in your life um, where there needs to be some healing. Is there someone who's hurt you and you're hurting them back or not dealing with it? Is there someone you're avoiding? Is there someone you're bitter towards? Is there a broken relationship in your life? Who have you hardened your heart towards? And who are you, are you hurting either with your, your direct actions or with your, your withdrawal from them? So is there what relationship in your life needs healing? Because the Spirit, if you're avoiding that or ignoring it, guarantee if you got and listened to the Spirit, uh, He's most likely, it could be later down the line, He's going to start pressing on you for that. But if you have a broken relationship in your life, at some point the Spirit wants that to be healed because He wants to change how we relate to God, relate to one another. So we're just going to take a moment quietness to pray um, this prayer because the way we rely on the Spirit um, is through prayer. And so the prayer we want to pray in regard to this command is open my heart to your love so I can love this person. That's what we pray to God. Open my heart, you know, letting God's love in so it can flow out. So open my heart to your love so I can love this person. Let's just take 30 seconds. And whoever that person was in your mind, or uh, maybe it's just a relationship like, you know, I just want to be more loving in this relationship. Um, pray that for that relationship right now. Open your my heart to your love so I can love this person. third command, third spiritual no-no, is about quenching the Holy Spirit. It's from 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 20. It's on page 988 of the Black Bibles we use here. Blasphemy against the Spirit is kind of a worship word. Grieving the Holy Spirit is sort of a relationship word. Quenching the Holy Spirit, I think, is a, is a power word, um, because quenching put out a fire, you quench a fire um, with water or dirt or something like that. And Paul says the words he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-20 this is one of those lists, kind of like what we were just reading, but let me read 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-20 it's on page 988 the black Bibles we have here. Paul says this, do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We got a bonus verse there. I read 22 uh, and 21. We got two bonus verses. Wow. Um, but he's saying, do not quench the spirit. And then he immediately goes into saying, do not despise prophecies. And if you're here last week, we talked about spiritual gifts. And Paul says, of all the spiritual gifts, he says, desire prophecy above them all. Um, and this isn't capital P prophecy 
like the Old Testament where we read about prophets like Micah and Isaiah and Jeremiah where it's like it's in our Bible, it's like the authoritative word of God, but this is small p prophecy, not capital P prophecy. And most people, uh, it's kind of like, okay, it doesn't get quite defined, like here's what prophecy is exactly, but from taking together a bunch of verses, <coughs> prophecy is something like this. It's, uh, this is probably too long for you to write down. You can try it if you want. Uh, but it's God-given insight and knowledge into the life of an individual or group for the purpose of upbuilding, encouraging, and consolation. It's God-given insight and knowledge into the life of an individual or a group for the purpose of upbuilding, encouraging, encouragement, and consolation. <coughs> so it's God reveals some sort of insight or knowledge about somebody's life or the life of a group where it's like, hey, this is going to happen to us or this is happening to this person right now. They're going through... Uh, a divorce or they're going through a hard time with an addiction or it's this God-given insight um, and knowledge into somebody's life and it's not given to like hey you got something bad going on in your life you better stop it it's given for the purpose of upbuilding and encouraging and consoling them of telling them this is the truth of, uh, of what's true of God in this situation and helping them uh, come out of it and so that's um, so he's like don't despise that happening amongst people apparently in, in the church in Thessalonica people were kind of like despising it, like, man, you know, that's you know, kind of worthless. But he's like, no, this is great stuff, and if you're despising this work of the Spirit amongst you, um, then you're quenching it. You're throwing uh, dirt on the fire. You're throwing water on the fire, and you're quenching. The Spirit wants to be this, this fire of warmth and, and power and brightness within your congregation, but you're quenching it, throwing water on it. And I want to expand this out, not just to prophecy, but prophecy in particular, um, but expanding it out, we talked last week about the body of Christ and the gifts um, and some, and what can quench the spirit in our church is not offering our gift to others or receiving others as a gift um, to us. And so not offering your gift to others or receiving others as a, or not receiving others as a gift to you, that will quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I mean this is this is challenging because we often want to live, um, lives where it's like, okay, I need to have the answers, I need to have it all together, I need to not ask for help. And if I ask for help, we tell all these um, lies about ourselves. If I ask for weak, then I'm lesser. If I ask for if I ask for help, then I'm lesser. If I ask for help, then I'm weak. If I ask for help from other people or I want them to, you know, hey, you're really good at this, when you come do this, then I'm showing, oh, I'm not good at that. And we, you know, we have all these issues with pride and and feeling like, well, I don't want people to know that I don't know how to do this, or I don't want to bother someone, or I don't want, you know, this, this, and that. I mean, when we do that, when we don't allow other people to use their gifts in our life, and we don't receive them as a gift to us, and we don't offer what we have to other people, then Paul says, you are quenching the spirit. The spirit wants to be this fire, and you, it can be, you can fan that into flame, or you can throw water and dirt on it. And so we're going to pray for this command, uh, is this prayer is open my heart. The other one uh, was open my heart to your love so I can love this person. And this prayer is open my heart to the gift that others are to me. Open my heart to the gift that others are to me. And uh, we're going to take a moment and pray that prayer now. And I'm just going to give you 20 seconds to pray that. So you're thinking about the people in our church, people around you, open my heart to the gift that others are
as a summary to put in our own words this command it would be this do not quench but be open and expectant we're open to the spirit we're expecting for the spirit to work we're open to other people expecting for God to work um, through other people in our lives um, do not quench but be open and expectant and our last command is from Ephesians 5.18 all three of those were do the ones we covered were do nots this is a uh, one that we're is a positive one we're supposed to do. So it's Ephesians 5.18. If you want to look at it, it's on page 978 of the Black Bibles we use here. So it's Ephesians 5.18. One verse. Apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So as a comparison and contrast, it's like we might, you know, all of us are like, okay, well, I don't have a problem getting drunk with wine. Like, that's not a struggle in my life. Um, but it's like this contrast. What does wine do or what does alcohol do? Um, it puts us under its influence. And it kind of like um, lowers inhibitions sometimes. And it, we're under its influence. It's like, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Uh, if you really want to have kind of like experience, maybe it's even a contrast, like if you're looking to that for a high, let me tell you what is a real high. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under its influence. If you want to experience a spiritual high, be under the Spirit's influence. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instead of filling yourself um, with alcohol or whatever else you may be looking to, to be under its influence or to feel good about yourself, be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just this one-time command. um, It's this constant, ever-present thing. Be constantly filled with the Spirit. And so our, co- our command from this, how we're going to summarize it, is be constantly filled with His power and influence. <coughs> be constantly filled with His power and influence. Paul, and we might wonder, what would a life look like if someone was constantly filled with the power and influence of the Holy Spirit? And we may think it's somebody, you know, like flying around or something and like, making rocks walk or, you know, something like that. It's like, what would it, you know, it's actually, we've talked about before, it's kind of, well, probably kind of ordinary, um, but if, but it's extraordinary to um, what we normally see. But look in the following verse. Be, he says, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, what would it look like? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're singing praise. There's these songs bubbling out of you that you're like, man, I just want to praise him. I want to thank him. In verse 20, it says thanks in particular. 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the opposite of you know, blaspheming, uh, speaking bad things about God, but actually we're thankful for everything, everything in our life and everything we see we're thankful for. Verse 21 is, tells us how our relationships would change. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We won't be living solo. We won't be living isolated lives. But instead, we come together as a church and it's like, well, I'm, I want to submit to the gift you have um, to give me the spirits given you. And we're you know, submitting to one another, giving our needs to each other and listening to one another, submitting to um, God-given words that the Spirit is, wants to speak into our lives. <clears throat> as we think about how to apply all this, we can be committed uh, to one of two things. Life as it is, or life as it could be. 
And we saw with the Pharisees, it's like, okay, this is life as it is. And Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. You can enter into a new experience of closeness with God and life transformation. But, and that's what life as it could be. And they're like, I can't. but they didn't want to let go of life as it is. They had positions. They had a system set up. They had ways of doing life. And we may look at them and be like, well, you know, if Jesus was here, I wouldn't do any of what they did. But we all have ways of doing our lives um, of Maybe even maybe even worshiping, where we're like, okay, this is the set stuff that I do for God. And if God came in and the Spirit was like, you need to change that. You're kind of doing this thing wrong. Would we be like, no? But that's what I've always done. I'm going to hold on to it. Or like, I want you to change this relationship. I want this. Uh, this would be this will be hard, but you'll experience a lot of healing here. And we might say, like, no, no, no. I'm going to hold on to the, the bitterness or the old way of doing relationships. But the thing that we see in this in these passages of these commands about the Spirit, is that spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. Closeness with God doesn't happen without effort. That doesn't mean we're earning the closeness. It's a free invitation. Um, but we have to actually come to Him, and we have to. there's, a, there's an effort there. And life change and transformation does not happen without our co- cooperation. We need to rely on the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit's leading if we want to be filled with His influence and power and so um, one of the images we've used in this series is at the window because um, the spirit uh, is compared to the wind that blows in invisibly and there's power and there's movement and so the window it's we need if we keep our house closed for long periods of time or maybe after the winter you're like oh finally spring has come I can lift my the windows up and let some fresh air and it's like our houses become kind of stuffy and stale and so ask yourself, you know, do, does your life feel kind of like stuffy? It's like, it's kind of like, just doesn't, it's just like, eh, it's just not fresh. It doesn't feel like it's being renewed and um, restored. It's just like, it just feels kind of stuffy and heavy and not much life to it. Does your life feel stuffy? Or do you feel stuck? It might be because you've closed the windows to the Holy Spirit, that you've closed yourself off from His influence and power. You're not aware or available or attentive to Him. And the power comes from Him, from God. The glory goes to God. But we have a crucial part to play because God has said, this is the part I want you to play. You're not earning my love. You're not earning my grace. You're not earning relationship with me. But there's a part for you to play. I mean, every relationship, it takes two, right? Like parent, child, or boss, co-worker, friends. There's always two parts to play. And God says, here's my part to play. And we've seen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but listen and obey don't quench the Holy Spirit. Be open and expect Him. And be constantly filled with His power and influence. So we'll open the windows to Him. And so as we're closing, we thought about those two, those two things. Are there some relationships in your life that need some work? And that the Spirit is calling you uh, into it. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to probably feel out of control. But this is what we hold on to. Comforting control is like, but are we willing to let go of control and be like, okay, I'm going to go where you, oh, that was pretty cool. I'm going to go where you where you go. Probably wouldn't have been that big of a deal. I'll put it down because this is dangerous. But if we're like, no, I want to be in control. If we're only going to hold, if we're, if we have to hold on to that and we won't let go to follow the Spirit, then things will never change. We won't experience closeness with God. If we're like, no, I don't want discomfort. I want comfort more than that. I don't want to be in a situation that's uncomfortable and difficult, and we won't let go of it and leave life as it is, um, then we're not going to experience the closeness and change that we say that we desire, but we may be unwilling to change things to get it. So, uh, two questions. What control have you been unwilling to give up? 
What discomfort have you been unwilling to step into? What control have you been unwilling to give up? What control have you been unwilling to give up? What discomfort have you been unwilling to step into? What control have you been unwilling to give up? What discomfort have you been unwilling to step into? Comfort and control, holding onto those, shut the windows in our life to the Holy Spirit. And what keeps us where we are, instead of getting to where we want to be, is usually what we're unwilling to let go of. It's like, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to live a different life. I want to be rid of this this hurt and this sin or these things I keep doing that are selfish. I want to experience more of you, closeness with you, and more transformation from you. And what keeps us where we are, instead of getting to that place where we want to go, is what we're unwilling to give up to get there. And the road to closeness with God and transformation is, you know, has, you know, if you look back in the rearview mirror, it would just be all these little bags of stuff that you've had to let go of. Because like, okay, I've got to let go of that if I want um, more of kingdom. And... You know, we can celebrate because if you're here tonight, you've made a choice how to use your time. You gave up things to seek after God. And so we all can say, yay, you know, give a spiritual yay to ourselves. It's like, hey, we gave up things. We could be other places and we're seeking after God. We're putting things um, on the side of the road. And we need to continue that and help each other with that and rely on each other um, as the body of Christ so we can help one another open the windows of the Spirit um, and allow Him to blow in, to, to blow out the stuffiness and that staleness um, so that we can live the life um, that God's calling us to. Let's pray. Father, would you help us be people who uh, who surrender, uh, who listen and obey, who are open and expectant, and who are constantly desiring your influence and power in our lives. Would you let us not grieve the Spirit? Would you let us not quench the Spirit? Would you uh, create a fire in our lives, uh, in our in our church? that we would know you more, experience more transformation as a body. In your name we pray. Amen.